Well, good morning again, City Hill. What's the number one thing that you are thankful for this Thanksgiving weekend? If you're at home, just turn and tell somebody, tell anybody who's with you, the number one thing you're thankful for. And if you're here with us this morning, just let's shout it out. Have a little fun this morning. So somebody's raise a hand. Tell me something you're really thankful for. Family. Health. The love of Christ. My husband. Good answer. The time we have together. You know, when you, when you say my husband, then every wife has to say that, right? That's right. My, yeah. So... Praise the Lord. It is good. You know, when you start making a list of the things you're thankful for, the list is long. The list is long of what God has done for us and the goodness of God in our lives. And it's so easy to focus on the things that we hope for, things that we lack. But may this weekend just remind us of the power there is in giving thanks to our living God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm thankful. Two things I want to just bring out before we get to the message. One, I'm thankful for our elder board here at this church. God's given us a good group of men who have been leading us and spend hours trying to deal with all the background stuff that it takes to run this church and care for the people that God has brought here. A couple updates that I think you should know about is one of our elders sitting in is Adam Johnson, and he's taking a, a break right now. He came to us and said he's got four little kids. At one point, they had four two-year-olds. And um, at that age, and with some of the medical issues that are in their extended family, he said, I'm coming back, but I'm taking a breather here. So we said, bless you. His focus needs to be upon some of these issues of the family. But that's Adam Johnson. And we also have two other men who are sitting in that's in the process working towards becoming an elder. And we got Steve Bradley. Steve, stand on up. And Bob Flynn. Bob, stand up for us. These are two men, praise the Lord, that they've been with us um, forever, I think. They've been with us a long time. They've been in leadership, leading life groups, leading our ministry teams. And they're two of the guys that are sitting in. This is the process for us as elders. And I'd appreciate any input you have on them, anything that encouragement or even concerns you might have, please send those to me as we walk through this process. Amen. My second thing I'm thankful for today is some of the progress we've made on what we're calling the Freedom Fund, paying off our long-term debt. Just real quickly, for those of you who love numbers, we started this off seven years ago. We are 1.3 million in debt, which is a lot. And we've paid that down. At the beginning of this year, we were down to 636 under half, praise the Lord, making progress. And last month, that was down to 477. This month, we're down to 466. And then if you add in the gifts and the pledges, which I like to do, we're somewhere in the area of $431,000, praise the Lord, making progress. And I just want to keep going back to what God has said, that to trust and watch what God will do. And in that, that means we have to trust God for what we can't figure out. You ever had to do that? Not just money, but all sorts of things in life. You can't figure it out, but we're called to put our trust in God. And this is just the workshop that he's setting before us. And I've loved watching just some of the gifts come through where 
I'm seeing $10 from this child, $5 here. People who are saying, this is what God's called me to. And God is honored by all of that. So I'm encouraging you to be a part of what God's doing and to join me with heartfelt faith to see what God can do in our midst. I actually have no idea how this is all going to work out. We're in process. It's not like we have some secret out there that we haven't revealed. It's God is able to do above and beyond what we ask or think. And we're trusting him to see us pay it off or at least make some great progress. That's what we're asking him for. And I'm excited about that. So praise the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. I thank you, God, for the hope, the living hope that we have in you. Thank you, God, that you today are for us. We serve a God that we don't have to battle to get your favor, but God, you are for us. You're not against us. And I thank you, God, that we can trust and hope in your love that is everlasting. Jesus, this morning we put all our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, the 29th of November, is Advent Sunday. I bet you didn't know that, did you? Who knew that? Okay, we got some smarties out there, all right. But most of, I, I really don't know a whole, didn't know a whole lot about this, and as I began to pray, I began to felt feel that the Lord wanted us to take a look at Advent. And some of us have shied away from celebrating Advent because, well, because it sounds so liturgical. It sounds churchy and religious. And honestly, here at City Hill, we um, try to avoid those kind of things. We, uh, you know, can you kind of picture the liturgical churches where they say, Dearly beloved, we are gathered together today in the sight of God and his holy saints to beseech the almighty God for his divine intervention. And we all go, what? That's not really who we are here at City Hill. We don't dress up in the special clothing so much, and we try to keep our faith real, raw, genuine, authentic, and honestly, that's the way I like it. I like a faith that is very real and applies to our life today, something that we can grab onto. But in the process of wanting to have our faith be real and tangible in our lives, sometimes we can throw out the baby with the bathwater. Sometimes we, in our attempts to reject what may be tired and formulaic, we end up missing some of the deep truths that God has for us. And some of these deep truths that we find in Advent. And one of the beautiful things of celebrating Advent here at City Hill is that we join together with the body of Christ International. We we join with what is called the communion of saints with those who love Jesus all around the world. And this expands our understanding of the church, the big C. I'll draw it your way, you can see it. The big C, 
the big church. The church of God is so much bigger than City Hill. It's been one of the great joys I've had in traveling is experiencing Christ with churches all over the world. And it, this expands our view of God, that God is not an American. He loves America, but God is not first and foremost an American. God is a God of the nations and expands our view of how wonderful and how glorious and how mighty. I think of the verse that says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. As we celebrate it, it, it helps us combine or join with the churches around the world. And that gives us a heart for all people because God loves all nations. Don't you love that he is the God of all nations? Jamie, you've traveled into many different nations, haven't you? And we see what God does when you're in Laos. And you get people who look different and speak different and sing different. And yet they're worshiping the same God. And it's, it's amazing. I've been in churches where I have no idea the words they're saying. Nothing's projected. Even if it was, I wouldn't understand it. But something in my spirit says, these are my brothers and sisters. This is the family of God. What a beautiful thing to be a part of that. And my heart and passion is that as we look at Advent, as we celebrate these truths, that they would not be liturgical as such, but they'd be life and they'd be a greater understanding of some of these powerful truths of God. Did you know there's 6,500 languages in the world or more? It's a lot of languages. And the Lord is worthy to be praised in every single one. What a tremendous God we serve. So my heart and prayer is that as we celebrate Advent, that we lift our eyes out of Eden Prairie. That we look up. We look up outside of these walls, outside of this church, and we look up to our Lord. And that we do it with a heart to celebrate with those of other nations and other races and other languages. And that we say, Lord, we want to join in what you are doing all around the world. So we join with those who are worshiping this morning under a banyan tree. Or those who are in a simple tin roof shack somewhere. I've been worshiping with people in Dominican Republic where you have your thatched roof church buildings and dogs and goats walking through the service and you just go praise the Lord on we go I've been worshiping preaching when the lights go out and you're in total blackness I mean you can't see your you can't see anything and you just keep preaching believing the people haven't all gone home right you just keep doing it because the Lord's worthy to be praised and as we celebrate the truths of Advent we get to do this with the worldwide church. So I ask you the question, what is Advent? What does this word mean? It's not a word we normally use in our day-to-day -day conversation. Well, Advent in Latin literally means coming or arriving. We are celebrate the arrival, the coming of something of great importance. So you may be waiting for the advent of the iPhone 12. That may be really important to you. Long lines form to get the new iPhone when it's finally revealed. Or you may be waiting for 
advent of a vaccine to combat COVID. And you're waiting. You may be in your home waiting for this vaccine. You may be here waiting to say, God, we want this pandemic done. I want the advent of the end of COVID. Anybody with me? You know, praise the Lord for his steadfast love that gives us strength to walk through. But I would love to see COVID gone. I wait for the advent of that day. It's the arriving of something of great importance. So as Christians, when we celebrate Advent, we are waiting and celebrating two major things in this world. We are celebrating the Advent, the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, upon which the entire world changed at the birth of the Christ child. We wait and we celebrate that Advent for which people waited a long time. But we also celebrate in Advent the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his second coming to the world. Maranatha speaks of, Lord, come quickly, or the Lord is coming soon. And we say, well, how do you define the word soon, right? Is soon today? Well, it is to me. But the scripture says that one day is as a thousand years to the Lord. So his timing is something that's very different from our timing. So in Advent, we look towards the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the heart of Advent. Jesus has come, and he will come again to earth. So let's talk about those two things for a moment. The birth of Christ. You know, back in Genesis 3, it was prophetically spoken of. God tells the serpent, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right from the beginning, God had a plan of redemption for the world. And it's spoken of way back there in Genesis 3. And then you see Isaiah 700 years before Christ was born. I just want to read some of these beautiful scriptures for us. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 11, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Isaiah, 700 years before Christ was born, said, unto us a son will be given. And they waited. And they waited. Can you imagine waiting 700 years for a prophecy to be fulfilled? There was a waiting that God called them to. The second part of Advent is the second coming of Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope. Say that with me. Fix your hope. Completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And Hebrews 9.28, So Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So they had to wait for the coming of the Christ child. 700 years from the day of Isaiah, waiting, believing, looking for the arriving of the Messiah. They had to wait. And we wait for the second coming of Christ. And what happens when we wait? Hopefully, we don't wait and get discouraged. You know, as you wait for something, it can be discouraging, right? You wait for a healing. You wait for a job. You wait for a spouse. You wait for a child. And sometimes we can lose hope. The scripture says, a hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And as we wait, it can be very difficult. But Christ calls us to an expectant hope that will not be disappointed, that will continue to hold on to the hope that he puts before us. And we can't experience the full joy of the coming Messiah without the waiting. Waiting is part of God's plan. And I've often said, God, your timing is hard for me. Timing of God ever been hard for you? You know, you, one of the timing of God that's hard for me is when I'm asking God for provision. And I ask somebody, why does God answer at the last minute? Why does he wait until the end? And one of my friends actually answered the question. I kind of thought it was rhetorical. But his answer was, because you aren't desperate enough until then. I went, dang, maybe I should get desperate earlier. You know, if I get desperate earlier, then maybe I don't have to wait to that last minute provision. But God wants us to call upon him. And as we wait, the heart is that we would wait and call upon him, not a formula. Not, a, not something we have all figured out, but that we trust and our hope is in Christ. And if you hear nothing else about today, I want you to hear about hope. About hope. But let me jump back to the history of Advent to say where it came from. A couple hundred years ago, they began to celebrate the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. The four Sundays and then up until the day of Christmas Eve. And this started with a man named, they think, Johann Wickham in the 1800s. He was a Protestant pastor who had a children's ministry. And every day these kids would go, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? You ever been in a car drive where like, we have to drive like about five days and about an hour into the first drive, the kid goes, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you know, it's like, and so this guy, this pastor was going a bit crazy with, is it yet? Is it Christmas? And these kids were, that's what they live for. So he got it all figured out. He had a wagon wheel and he put all these candles in, one for each day and a big candle for each week. And every day they would light the candle, which helped show these children we are getting closer to Christmas. And as it got closer and closer, their expectancy grew, waiting for that Christmas day. And this began, this idea and this tradition began to spread through Europe, through North America, and reached the United States somewhere around 1930. 
And it is now celebrated in all the traditional churches. We think of the Anglican, Presbyterian, Methodist churches, but it's also celebrated in Vineyard and Bethel and Assemblies of God and churches, non-denominational churches all over the world to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Christ. We don't want to be caught off guard when Christmas comes. And not only do we not want to be caught off guard because our focus needs to be on Jesus rather than all the things that our world is making Christmas to be. I just remember a man that said to me one time, I like church. I really like you church people and I like it, but if you could just leave Jesus out of it, I'd join. So, well, you know, it doesn't really work that way. Um, if we left Jesus out of it, we wouldn't have anything. And I think that same model is what the world wants to do with Christmas. Santa Claus and elves and fun movies and all of it's fine. Just please leave Jesus out of it. And if we're not careful, we can do that. We can get so focused on, you know, we speak negatively towards consumerism, and it surely can be negative. But we can end up focusing on good things like family and food. I just made some wassail yesterday. If anybody knows what wassail is, good uh, fruit, German Christmas drink. It's a tradition in our home. And we can focus on decorations and food and family and all those things that are wonderful, but not prepare our hearts for Christ. And the heart and prayer is that we would be more than ever focused on Christ this Christmas. All the things, the candles, even the concept of Advent is really simply tools to help our focus and heart be upon Christ and what he brings to the world. And so today, the Advent themes that I want to present to you, there are four themes of the Advent season. Hope, the eternal, the hope we have in eternal life through Jesus Christ. Love, the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The joy, the great news, the good news of great joy that comes when Christ is announced to the world. Peace, the peace of God, may it rule in our hearts. The peace that passes all understanding, how you can have peace in a time of turmoil. And the Christ candle, which is lit on Christmas Eve, where we celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about hope in the time that remains today. I want to talk about hope this morning. And Jake and Emma, come on up. We're going to light one candle this morning that represents the candle of hope. Jake, if you can read that scripture for us. Okay. John 8, 12 says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thank you. You know, in Spanish, the word for hope, esperar, is the word also 
It means to hope or to wait. Same word. Because when we're hoping for something, we intrinsically have to wait for it. To hope or to wait. And really this becomes very personal. Very personal in our lives. Because what we hope for shapes what we live for. What we hope for motivates us to endure the challenges of life. If we're sick, we hope to get well. If we're missing someone, we're separated, we hope to be united with them again. And we can endure a lot of suffering when we have hope. One of the things that happens in military concentrations camps as they've, the stories have come out is one of their goals is to destroy your hope. If they can destroy a man's hope, then they can destroy the man. We so desperately need hope in this world. And I want to ask you a question. Where is your hope? I want you to really wrestle with that question this morning. Where is your hope? In what do you hope? Or maybe better said, in whom do you hope? Where is your hope? You know, recently I talked to the man who was struggling in his faith, a man who'd followed the Lord for years, and in his words he was deconstructing his faith, and really questioning his walk with the Lord. I would say distancing himself from God. And as we talked, he shared that he was experiencing a sadness, a depression, a, a loss of hope. And I thought, well, of course. You've had your hope in God for years and years, and if you're losing your hope in God, where is your hope? In what do you hope? Let me tell you, if you hope in your own strength, in the strength of your body, in your own health, then you're on shaky ground. If you hope in your family, well, that's kind of scary because that's unstable. Maybe you have a great family, but families die. Families fail. If your hope is in the U.S. government, may God help you. I mean, I think some of the reasons people, people have been suicidal and they've they said, I've lost all hope. If your hope is that the U.S. government is going to save you, then be very afraid. And that's not even criticizing the U.S. government. That's speaking to you that your hope is misplaced. They have never been able to save your soul. They've never been able to meet the deepest needs of your heart. That's why traveling is such a good thing. I just remember being in Cuba with people who were so controlled. A communist world. Just no personal property, no homes, no vehicles, no freedom, inability to speak openly without, I mean, it was a, 
you just felt for the oppression in this nation and you go to the church and they stand and they go, I'm free, soy libre, I'm free in Jesus and they're just worshiping God and I'm thinking, how can they say they're free? But see, they got it. They got it because they understood that their freedom did not depend upon the external, but it depended upon God himself. Their hope was in God. And I ask you again, where is your hope? Psalm 42 sheds some light on this. The psalmist says, why so downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God? Now just, let's just take that verse for a minute. Why so downcast? So here's David. I think it's David. And he's going, why do I have this turmoil? You ever woke up in the morning and your heart's you're just in turmoil? You wake up and it's just like, maybe I should go back to bed again. You know, and try to get up on the other side. Just you wake up and there's just something. You don't even know what's going on. But there's a, a lack of peace. There's an unrest. Or maybe you know what's going on and there's just this, why so downcast? It can be a sadness or a depression. And even knowing Christ, sometimes you wake up and you go, man, I'm just out of sorts. Well, David woke up that way and went, what is going on? Why are you so downcast? And then what does he say? He says, put your hope in God. I think what he's saying is the reason I'm downcast is I've put my hope in something other than God. I've put my hope in my armies, my riches, my relationship, my family. I put it somewhere other than God and boy, I'm just not doing great. And instead of trying to just change everything around him, which we often try to do, right? If we could just fix the people around us, we'd be okay. You ever thought that? If I could just fix these family members, if I could just fix my friends. But David understood better. He said, put your hope in God. If I want to say anything, when you go home today, you say, what was that about? I say, well, pastor told us to put your hope in God. Hope. And when we put our hope in God, we become very secure. The guy who wrote this song, I found that it was the only song he ever wrote. And he wrote, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. This guy, the author, understood that that is what, where our security comes. And when, we're, when we put our hope in Christ, then the things of the world don't matter as much. That doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean we don't hurt. It doesn't mean we don't cry but it means our security is based upon Christ. And we also have to look beyond this life. Because if your only goal is staying alive, well, then you're a bit insecure, right? Because eventually you're going to die if Christ doesn't come back before that. And Paul's understood it where he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's going, I, it's a win-win. And his main goal was not staying alive. His main goal was standing firm upon Christ and upon his promises. 
And when we get that right, then we enter into a, a security and a peace that really passes all understanding. So the Bible calls us to wait. I just think how much we hate waiting. Like the term delayed gratification. It's almost a swear word, right? You know, the thing parents tell their kids, and they go, I don't want to hear that. I want it now. We want it all. And the whole world and our economy is based upon things now. You get the item now. You can pay later. Everything we want now. Fast food. We want it now. But that isn't the ways of God. I mean, just think of some of these stories. Joseph, enslaved in Egypt, waiting for these dreams to come true. Waiting. Jacob, how many years did he wait for his promised wife? Israel, 400 years in slavery, waiting for deliverance. The people of God, 700 years waiting for the Messiah to be born. The Bible is filled with waiting. Noah, building an ark, waiting for rain to fall and the flood to come. Moses, waiting for the promised land. Abraham and Sarah, waiting for a son to fulfill the promise. God's ways are often ways of waiting. And Advent is about the waiting. But when I say that, I kind of think sometimes we go, we think, oh, I'm going to sit back, get in my easy boy recliner, and wait. But I don't think that's what the Bible means when it says to wait. I think it's an active wait. It's not a passive waiting. It's not a laissez-faire attitude, que sera, sera. Just, you know, just see what happens. I think God calls us to activity. And it's also not an optimistic attitude. Now, hear me. I like optimism. My wife would call me a great optimist. There's different ways of looking at that glass half full, right? Is it half full or half empty? Optimism is a good thing, but it's not the same as hope. Because optimism is always hoping for a good present result. Like that the Vikings would finally win the Super Bowl. You can hope in that. God bless you. But there's a fair chance that your hope will be disappointed. But real hope is so much deeper. It's hope that rests on the character of God. And that God and his love are eternal and will never fail you. And will be with you. That's why I love the scripture. Romans 8, 37. And follow it says, No... Now, the word no starts off because they're talking about all these problems, all these challenges that we face. And it says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You know, when you're walking through the fires and the troubles, you don't go, man, am I a conqueror, right? You're just trying to stay alive. You're just trying to keep going. But it says, no, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else 
in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise the Lord. That means even if you die, you win. Even if the worst, which we think of death, you win. And it puts us in such a wonderful place because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And in that, we hope. And if you say, well, I don't know how to, that's not really how I'm wired. That's not really where my hope is. I just want to say it can be. I'll tell you a good place to start. The very simple prayer that would just say, Jesus, I put all my hope in you. Just get on your knees and pray that. Jesus, I put all my hope in you. A declaration, a prayer. And let that be a prayer that we talk about meditating on the word of God. Meditate on this prayer. Jesus, I put all my hope in you. And as you do that, I believe things will change inside. I believe that you begin to see the world differently as you put your hope fully in Christ. And that's my heart and hope for you. That we would be a people that trust and hope in Christ this Christmas season. Worship team, come on up. But what I want to have us do is before the worship team plays any music, we're just going to take two minutes of silence. And sometimes we're not all that comfortable with silence. But I want to take two minutes of silence in the presence of God, and I want to ask you just to, if you can, just open your hands before the Lord on your lap. Just open your hands as a symbol of receiving from God. And just breathe in the presence of the Spirit this morning and say, Lord, I need your hope. Jesus, I put all my hope in you. Let the Lord speak to you this morning. I don't know what God wants to minister to your heart, but he does. We're just going to take a couple minutes in quietness before the Lord, okay? So, Father, we position ourselves to receive from you this morning. Be our hope, Lord.
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. May we be a people of hope. A couple things as we end today. One is you receive packets on your chairs, and there's more at the back table and at the table in the exit area. Um, these are simply some cards. You can cut up, form little packs that day by day give you a part of the Advent calendar to prepare your heart for the coming of Christ. So I encourage you to take these home, walk through this day by day, and continue to ask God to prepare yourself for Christmas this year with a focus upon Christ. They're great to use with kids, but they're also great for us to use as adults. So enjoy these packets that Kurt helped prepare for us. Thanks for being here. Those online, may the Lord bless you in your homes. And those of us who are here, thanks for coming in today. If you'd like a ministry team to member to pray for you, minister to you, Steve and the team is over there in this prayer room out these doors. We'd love to minister and seek the Lord with you. And if you're new to us today, I'll be out at the Welcome Center on the left-hand side. I'd love to meet you. So God bless you, and have a hope-filled day in Jesus' name. Amen.